Praise the Lord. Amen. We're glad to be in the house of God today. We're glad to be in the house of God this morning. Uh, we've already had several connections with the church that uh, have uh, texted and told us that they are sick today. Uh, about four of them have texted this morning and, and have texted and said that their kids, some of their kids have woke up with 103 uh, fever. So uh, one, possibly one's going to be taking theirs to the hospital this morning, to the ER, the children. And so we want to be much in prayer for them. There's been several connections with the church that are sick. So we want to definitely be praying for them today. We'll be praying for several of our homebounds as well. Been, many, been visiting several of them. Uh, so let's just keep them in our prayers. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God to touch and minister in our Sunday school class today. We've got Sunday school classes upstairs, our, our nursery, our kids. Uh, teenagers, and then, of course, here in the sanctuary, we want to be much in prayer for our Sunday school classes today. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today again. Thank you for another wonderful year. We thank you for a blessed day that you've allowed us to come into your house this last day of 2023, to come into your house and to worship and praise you. Father, I pray that you'll move and minister in our Sunday school classes today. Touch each of the teachers as they bring forth your word today to the students that's in our classes. You see those that have already texted or uh, the phone calls that we've received, those that are not able to be here due to sickness. Father, I pray that you'll continue to minister to them, and I pray that you'll touch and minister in their lives today. God, I pray that you'll open the windows of heaven and pour out an anointing and a blessing upon our Sunday school class today and our morning worship. Minister in a mighty way to your people, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning, as we are uh, continuing in our Sunday School lesson, remember if you've joined us on live feed, the website is listed below right here uh, where you can follow along with the Sunday School outlines. So make sure you avail yourself of that. Our unit theme that we've been talking about over the last five Sundays, this is the fifth Sunday that we've been looking at this, and the unit theme is Gospel by Matthew. Gospel by Matthew. We've been looking strictly in the book of Matthew and been talking about how that the word of God, how the gospel is presented here in our scripture. The main thing that we're focusing on in this and our today's lesson is, is the Christ sent life, the Christ sent life. Being, being sent by Christ is a high privilege and a serious responsibility. Too many people take church for granted. Too many people take uh, Christianity for granted. Too many people take our responsibility of being a Christian for granted. I was talking to some friends uh, this last Friday afternoon, went over and had uh, supper with them, and we were sharing. Uh, they've been on the mission field. We've been on the mission field. And we started sharing uh, with each other. Uh, we sh shared with each other things uh, that, that happened and transpired while on the mission field. And we compared that to the life here in America and how Americans just really, they take Christianity for granted. We must understand that there is a privilege and there's a serious responsibility in this. And we, we need to be apprised of the hazards and rewards of being sent by Christ. 
and determined to make the gospel known. This is a, this is a wonderful thing to think about. Uh, we don't have to really worry about this in America as much as they do in other countries. Being a Christian in other countries is, is a hazardous thing. Being a Christian here in America is hazardous. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to mock at you. They're going to they're put peer pressure on you. They're going to do things, and it's not a hazard in, our, in, our, in the effect of our life right now. Uh, I know that when I was in Venezuela and then we, we got shared on Wednesday night, or excuse me, Friday night when we was over at a friend's house, we was talking about the mission field and how that many times those on the mission field, I, I remember we stayed at one house and, and one of their kids, Brother Larry, the oldest son, stayed out on the front porch. And he sat on the front porch as our security. Why? Because we, we, was, we was in Venezuela. They don't take kindly to Christians. And they, they, they was the gang that was in the area that we was in. They could have, if we found out that we was Christians, when we went there in Venezuela, for example, we didn't use the word say we was Christians. We said we're missionaries. To us, that means the same thing. But to them, it's a whole other category. And so they was okay with missionaries. But if they found out you was Christians, they wanted to kill you. And so the thing was is we had protection. We had security. We had somebody sitting at the front door to keep us safe while we slept that night. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, yes, I lock my front doors just like everybody else does. But there was nobody sitting on the front porch as a security guard. And that's what we've got to understand. I firmly believe that we're living in a day and time that it could be not too much longer that Christians are going to be, uh, they're going to have a whole lot more hazard not saying that to be to be a conspiracy or anything like that, but being a Christian is not popular anymore. Believing in the Word of God is not a popular thing in the in in America anymore. All believers in Christ are sent by God, and we need to make God known by telling the good news of Jesus to those around us. We're sent by Christ. We're sent by God. To do what? To carry the gospel of Christ. And that's what we really need to do. Take a look at, Ma at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 10 verse 16. Look at what it says. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheeps. I'm sending you out as sheeps in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. After resurrecting the daughter of Jairus, we found that in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was followed, immediately followed by two blind men who pled with Jesus to have mercy on them in response to their faith. Jesus healed their eyes. Shortly thereafter that, there was a demon-possessed person whose, whose tongue was paralyzed, and the demon was expelled, and the man's tongue was freed and loosed so he could speak as normal. These things happened, and then the, the word or the, uh, uh, the, the popularity, that's the word I'm looking for, the popularity in that region of Jesus began to grow. To grow, 
They wanted to see this man from Nazareth that was doing these miracles. Many people commented that so, no such miracle had ever taken place in Israel, yet Jesus was doing this. The Pharisees, they decided that they wanted to resort to discrediting Jesus and blaming him for blaspheming. Why? Because they wanted to tear down the ministry that Jesus was doing. Jesus was not hindered by the Pharisees in their attempt, in their opposition to his ministry. We find in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 that Jesus went out among the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing sickness and disease among the people. Jesus was not hindered. Why? Because he was the son of God. He was carrying the good news of God to those around. Jesus was there to go, and he's sending us, sending you and I out in the midst of wolves, in the midst of people that don't like you. Why? Because you're a Christian. You know, we stand in Christianity, we stand for things that are the biblical value. That's what we say a lot of times. Biblical values. When we talk about, when we talk about murder, we stand on the side of biblical value. We talk about abortion. We stand on the side of biblical value. We stand on the lifestyle of, of many people that it's accepted as a it's socially accepted today, but we stand on the side of biblical value. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. By a lot, we should shouldn't have to say this, but we do. Today we say a biological man and a biological woman. Notice we've said a and we say biological male and female. We stand on that biblical side of those things, and that's why there are wolves all around. Why? Because that's what's going on in the world. We're sent out to spread the good news. But we also must understand something. The last part of this verse does not resonate with some people. Some people want to go in the midst of a... Of a, a, a candy store, like a kid in a candy store, and start just gathering everything, just start doing everything. Want to be a bull in a china shop and just go wreck everything. But we can't do that. If I have a non-Christian standing here, whether they be Muslim, atheist, Islamic, non-believing, whatever it may be, they are not a Christian. If I have that person standing here and I say, you need to be a Christian. You need to know the Word of God. You need to, you need to, and you start doing this. What are they going to do? They're going to run. Why? Because nobody wants that. If I go over to Brother Larry's house, and he's sitting out there on the dock, and he's trying to fish, and, and I just start jumping up and down, and I start yelling and doing stuff, what is he going to do? He's going to take his fishing rod, and he's going to go in the house. Even though that's his own place, he's getting away from me. What we've got to do is we've got to be wise as serpents. I was cutting the grass down at the house, and everybody, everybody knows I am not a fan of snakes. I don't like them. I can't stand them. I was cutting the grass down at the house the other, uh, here this past summer, and I'm, I'm weed eating. I got the weed eater, and I'm going through there, and I look up, and one of the little vent holes that goes under the house, it was right there in front of me, and I'm weed eating, I'm doing this. And, I, I mean, I've been there for a few minutes. I've already been riding the lawnmower through there. And now I'm weed-eating, and I look up, and straight in front of me 
is a snake curled up in that vent cover, in that vent hole that goes under the house. I am petrified of snakes. I don't like them. But he hasn't moved. He hasn't done anything. He is laying there being very still, and he's hoping I don't see him. Well, guess what? There's a, and if I was pray to him, which he knows I'm not, if I was pray, that's the same thing he'd be doing to where he could capture that prey quickly. What we've got to realize is that non-Christian, that Muslim, that Islamic, that atheist, whatever the case may be, going in there and just beating them over the head with something is not going to change their mind. If you have, I'll give this as an example. And this, this, happened, this actually happened to us about, about 13 years ago. Almost 13 years ago, this actually happened to us. We had a young couple that was going to our church, and they was living together, but they wasn't married. And I, that's anti-biblical. We, that's not lining with the word of God. And so what we did, I didn't go to them and just beat them over the head with that. I didn't go to them and, and call them out on that. But what I did is I befriended both of them and started talking to them about the good news of God. Started sharing, not beating them over the head with anything, but we started sharing the good news of God. Started talking about what it is to be a Christian. They went to our church and so we preaching and befriended them and, 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 and involved, got interacting with them. I do not condone the way they live their life. I'm not going to say... I accept the way you live, but I accept that as an individual, it is a soul that needs Jesus. We're all souls that needs Christ, amen? And so in, the, in that, within about five or six weeks, they come to me and they said, Brother Andy, we want to get things right with our relationship with God. We want to get closer to God. We want to do what we need to do to get closer to God. And I said, well, there's one thing that you've got to do first. They said, oh, don't worry about that. We've already done it. I said, okay, what did you do? But Larry, you know what they said? He had moved out that weekend, moved back in with Mama until they could get married. See, to me, that's, I never, I never bashed them. I never condemned them. I never threw mud in their face. But what we do is we interact and we share the love of God. Does that make sense? We share the love of God, and when we do that, people are more accepting. What does it say? You, you, you attract bees with honey. You, you attract with sweetness. Now, I'm not, look, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not going to tell somebody I accept their lifestyle. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say this up front. I'm not the moral judge. There's things in my life that's wrong. I'm sure there is. But what we've got to do is we've got to strive to live our lives more like Christ and share the good news of Jesus. Well, Brother Andy, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't do all those things. Well, the last time I checked, the Bible tells us that Jesus spent more time in the house of sinners. He spent more time around. He was a friend of sinners. He was, he was interacting with those folks. He went to their house. He went, why? Because he wanted to interact with them to share the good news of God with them. That's what we've got to do. Why? Because we've been sent by Christ. We've been sent by Christ. Take a look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse 1. We're going to start off in reading in verse 1. 
and then we'll go, go from there. Matthew chapter 10, let's start off in verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples. Okay, there's a question about this because you talk about disciples and then you talk about apostles and, and they're both referred to the, the 12 disciples are referred to also as apostles. Well, right now they're considered disciples after Jesus' death. Judas, of course, dies. And then they add one to the 12. Now they're the apostles. And then what the apostles do is they send out disciples. Apostles lead people to send, people, send them out to be disciples. Does that make sense? So what we're talking about right now is Jesus is sending the 12 disciples. He called to him 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These 12 disciples had been, had been selected by Jesus himself. Matthew introduced, to, uh, introduced us to five earlier. Jesus' purpose here was to call them from among the crowds, among those others that was following them, and assign them to a special mission. He sent the 12 out to do a specific thing. We have been given an order by God to be sent out into the world to carry the gospel of Christ to those around us. Prior to this time, the disciples traveled with Jesus and receiving instructions directly from him. Now, he sent them out ahead of time to towns and villages where Jesus was going to travel later on, and he is sending them as a forerunner mission to help them in training for their future ministry. He gives the disciples the empowerment to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, so let's stop for a moment and let's, let's apply this to our lives here today. Let's apply this to what we live in today, how we as Christians we live. What we must understand and realize is that we're right here in church. We're in church today. Right now I'm, I'm teaching the Sunday school class. In a few moments we're going to have the praise team. They're going to lead us in worship. I'm going to come back and I'm going to preach a sermon. This morning our sermon is along the lines of uh, covering what we, what's happened this last year and laying a little bit of a foundation moving forward into this next year. We've got a sermon that we're going to preach out. Then what are we supposed to do? We as the body of the church are supposed to be discipled and learn how to go out and carry the gospel to somebody else. And then what are we supposed to do? That, that co-worker, that friend that lives next door, that neighbor, whatever the case is, we are supposed to interact with them and invite them to come to the house of God. We're supposed to bring them into the house of God. And this is, this is in essence, what is going on here? Jesus is sending them. He's sending them out with authority to proclaim the good news, to, uh, to, he, to cast out unclean spirits, to heal sicknesses and disease. And Jesus is going into these same villages and towns later on in his ministry. Peter is listed first in the name of the twelve disciples. 
12 disciples or 12 apostles. These are the interacted, interchange here in the way that we word this. Peter is named first. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. We find that Peter is listed first, not because he was chosen first, and not because he's first on the list, but perhaps because of his preeminence in the apostolic circle. This order, but this is only the order of the first equals. This has nothing of the Catholic doctrine of the supremacy of Peter over the apostles or the disciples. Peter's not the boss. He's not the chairman of the board. He's not number one, the number one disciple, the number one uh, uh, apostle. We also find that Matthew lists these in pairs because this is the way Jesus sent them. He says, Simon and Andrew, James and John. Jesus sent them out two by two. When we go out into ministry, we must understand we're not in this alone. When you go witness to somebody, you're not in this alone. When I go visit and I go witness and I go carry the... I'm not in this alone. We're praying one for another. We're in this thing together. The method has proven time and time over the years to be the most effective means of evangelism. The number is small enough to not lose individuality, but yet large enough to minimize individual bias and provide mutual agreement when is necessary. We don't need to go into areas alone. I've heard, I've heard many times where people will go, try to go, uh, which we don't do this much anymore due to the world we live in. When people would go and knock on doors, just randomly cold call, knock on doors, and invite them to church. Okay, they used to do that a lot. We don't do that anymore. Why? Because, it, I mean, the world we live in is dangerous. I had this one lady at one of our churches, and, and she, was, uh, she was retired. She was, had grandkids, things like that. And she told me, she said, Pastor, we, when we first went there, and she started coming to the church, and she knew that I did home visits on occasions. Now, I'll call ahead of time. I don't just show up. Uh, I've showed up at Sister Vardaman's house and knock on her door, and she makes me a tomato sandwich. So we'll be, we'll be good with that. But you got to make sure you go at lunchtime at Sister Vardaman's house. But, the <laughs> but, what, but what she told me is she said, she said, Pastor, if you come to my house, if it's after dark, you make sure you call. I said, oh, I would. I wouldn't just. She said, no, I need you to understand. You make sure you call, especially if it's after dark. And Brother Larry said, you know what I did next. I said, why? Should never have done that. I just said, why? She said, well, fact of the matter is, is I've got a 12-gauge shotgun on the other side of that door. And if somebody knocks on the door and I don't know who they are and I don't expect anybody, I'm shooting through the door first to ask questions later. I said, trust me, I will call you first. And, but the point that I'm making is, is what Jesus did, he sent them out two by two. Why? Because there is, there's security in that numbers. There's times that Sister Carrie goes with me when I do visits and I, and I do those things. Why? Because I, you need somebody with you. You don't just do that alone like that. Now, I've gone and visited many people by myself, but there's times you've got to make sure that you do have someone with you. Let's go on and take a look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, 
but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus tells them not to go into the areas where Gentiles was at. Guess what? That's you and I. And do not go to the Samaritans, but only go to where the Jews are at. This may have been a concession to the inexperience of the apostles. Why? Because this is the first time that these apostles, these are disciples, of Jesus had ever been sent out. The mission area later would be enlarged, enlarged, but right now they are only to go to the chosen people, to the Jews. Later on, after they had had experience, they go to other places. You know, it's find it easier when you know somebody to interact with them rather than just somebody that you do not know. And that's what Jesus was trying to, enter, to convey to them. He was giving them an opportunity to learn how to be a witness and go to people that already knew the word of God, not go to people that did not know. In other words, not go to the Samaritans, not go to the Gentiles. Jesus tells his disciples, don't go be sightseers. You're not on vacation, but go with a message that tells them, in verse 7 it says, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This early preaching involved personal testimony as well. God means for us not only to bear the message, but we're to be the message. We, we cannot go and tell somebody, thou shalt not steal while we're in the process of stealing something. So in other words, Jesus is telling not only do you need to go proclaim, but you've got to live the message that you are proclaiming. Jesus does not want us to bear it, but he wants us to be the message. And that goes back to what I said a while ago, how that we need to just show the love of God to those around us instead of bashing people over the head with the Bible. You know what I mean? If I come, into, if I come up to your house, Brother Chuck, and all I do is I, you open the door and I just... You're going to slam that door shut on me, aren't you? You probably get in a couple of punches if you can. But the thing is, is what we've got to understand, take that in spirituality as well. I used this example before with a church, and years later, this example I'm fixing to give you, I used this, and then years later, a young lady that was at the church, she said, I remember your example on the stake. And I had to stop and I had to think. I was like, what example are you talking about? I had to get her to remind me. But this was about five years later. She said, I still remember that. So the example that I gave was, is, and I've used this here before, but those that like steak, you have a particular way you want it cooked, right? I, like my, I don't like mine mooing. I want, it, I want it, you know, done. I'm okay with a little pink inside, but I want it cooked. And I don't eat a steak. If you, see, if you get a little eight-ounce steak, I don't, want it, I don't want to eat that eight ounces all at one time. I don't shove that whole thing in my mouth. It goes with anything. When I was Sister Vardaman's house, I went by and I picked us up two sandwiches from, from Arby's, didn't I? And we went there and we didn't shove those whole things in our mouth in one bite, didn't we? We took bites after bite, didn't we? And that's the same thing it is with the gospel. You can't cram the word of God down somebody's throat. You've got to do it bit by bit. Why is that? You've got to realize something. Just like every one of us has, we have 
um, habits that we've formed. We've got habits that we've formed. When I go in my house, if I'm done for the day, and I'm done. I'm not going back out. I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or if it's 7 o'clock. If I'm done for the day and I know I'm not leaving the house, I'm not leaving the property, I'm not getting back in my, I'm not planning to get back in my vehicle, my habit is, is I go ahead and change. I take, I, I go, I go down the sta- downstairs to the spare bedroom where my stuff is at, and I've got my, I've got, I've got my sleeping pants laying right there on the bed. I'll change. I put them sleeping pants on. I take these socks and shoes off, and I've got me a t-shirt on, and I get comfortable. Why? I'm done for the day. I don't care if it's two o'clock or if it's seven o'clock or nine o'clock at night. If I am in the house for the day, then I, my habit is, is to go ahead and change. Now, how many of you think you're going to change that habit of mine? You're not. You're not going to change that. Why? Because that's something that I have done for years. I know some people that I've talked to husband and wives, and, and I've talked to some where that husband, he'll take his shoes off and leave them right at the front door, and the wife is irritated about that. Well, you know what? He's been doing that for years. You're not going to stop it overnight. Why? Because it's a habit. Now, those are silly things. Those are things that every one of us has got habits. We've all got those things. But guess what? It's the same thing in the spiritual side. It's the same thing in the way of our morality. If I have a moral value that I believe I have this moral value, whatever it may be. That's my moral value. You're not going to change it by just saying you're wrong and you need to change your mind. If, if, if my moral value, I'm going to use this for example, my moral value, I cannot stand somebody to lie to me. I can't stand that. It is more ir- and it ain't got nothing to do. I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't take this the wrong way. Don't take this as a heretic. It ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. I can't stand when somebody lies. It irritates me. That's a moral value that I have. Now, you come to me and you say, oh, it's okay to tell a little white lie. And you explain to me your reason for saying it's okay. We know it's not, but just follow with me. Somebody says it's okay. Guess what? You're not changing my mind. Why? Because I have that that strong value system in my life that that is wrong. It is wrong to do that. You're not going to change my mind. And that's the same way if someone has been born and raised as a Muslim. You're not changing them overnight. Somebody just popped in their brain, I promise you, either in-house or on live feed, or either somebody's watching this later on, somebody's going to pop in their mind, they're going to say, well, God can change them instantly. God can change their heart instantly. You got that right. And last time I checked, we ain't God. God can change them. Brother Andy can't. I cannot change people. All I can do is to share the love of God with them, to share the love of God to them, and be that example in their lives. That's what we've got to do. That's how we've got to do things. What we've got to do is we've got to understand that we've got to show the love of God. But we cannot force somebody to do that. Amen? Going on here. 
Jesus tells the disciples not to be sightseers. He tells them to live the example. He tells them to be the example. Jews have God's promise. And if we have Christians, we have we as Christians, we have it too. Then it is only as those chosen to be guests in the in the homes that we go to, that's the only place we're going to be. If Brother Larry closes off to me and I'm not going to. I'm trying to tell Brother Larry how to fish. Now, Brother Larry, I'm not going to tell you how to fish. You know more about fishing than I'll ever learn, okay? If I go in and I try to tell Brother Larry how to fish, guess what? He's going to do this number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He ain't hearing me. And that's the same way it is with anyone that is not a Christian. You're not going to go in and change them overnight. God can. Brother Andy can't. We've got to remember that. So let's take a look. Let's go on back into uh, Matthew chapter 10. Let's read verse 8. Let's start in verse 8 and then we'll go, we're going to 8 and 9. He's telling them to preach the gospel and he's telling them to, to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8. He's telling them also to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. And, and people think that this is talking about paying the ministers. It's not, and I'm not saying that because I am a minister. I'll explain, I can explain that later, but let's look on to this. Acquire no gold or silver, copper for your belts. No bag for your journey, no, t or two, uh, no bag for your journey, two tunics or sandals or staff. For, a labor, for the labor deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is unworthy, verse 13, house is unworthy, let your peace come upon it. Or if it's worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone not receive you, listen or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet, when you leave that house or that town. Look, y'all, we need to realize something. We need to realize something. Not everybody is going to receive what your witness is. Not everybody's going to receive from you the good news of Christ, what it is to be a Christian. Not everybody's going to receive what it is to be a Christian. Not everybody's going to receive that. And so we've got to realize that way up front, we've got to realize that everybody's not going to receive your Christianity. Everybody's not going to do that. But what we've got to understand and realize very quickly is that we're going to plant that seed and somebody else may come behind, may come behind and be able to water that seed and be able to cause it to grow. Not everybody's going to receive, but what we've got to do is we've got to go in, empowered by Christ, spread the good news that Jesus has given us to do, freely, get, freely receive, freely give what God's given to us. I'm going to say this very carefully because I don't, want any, I don't want anybody to misunderstand it. Go back to that verse. We'll look at that. We'll go through this and look at these things quickly. Verse 8. 
This is the absolute law that must guide Christian ministers. Yes, ministers of the gospel, pastors, evangelists, they are worthy of support from those whom they serve. As the pastor of this church, I am full, I'm a full-time pastor of this church. The finances that comes into my house, my home, comes from this church. In other words, I get a, quote, paycheck from this church, from Coosa Valley Church of God. Does this mean that I am employed, if you look at it from that sense, follow everything that I'm saying here. Am I employed by this church? I'm employed by the church of God. I happen to be stationed at Coosa Valley Church of God. Does that make sense? Now, what we've got to realize and understand, the Bible teaches about, and, and I'm explaining all that because I want, to, I want to get to that part of that verse. Receive without paying, give without pay. Because this is a lot of times, and there's a lot of things going on social media right now, that's saying, see, pastors are not supposed to get paid. Y'all, I'm, I'm serious. I've had people in Pell City come up to me and, and, just, and blast me because I'm a full-time minister and I get paid from this church. And I'm thinking, well, then how else am I supposed to put groceries on my table, on the table? And I've had actually some come to me and tell me, well, you need to get a job. I have had a, I've had a full-time job while pastoring a church. But guess what? When I had that full-time job while pastoring a church, I didn't get to go to visit people in the hospital like I do now. I didn't get to go to all the funerals and do those things like I do now. I didn't get to homebound people go visit them. I didn't, get, I didn't have as much time as I do now that I get to pray and study the Word of God, dig into the Word of God. Those are the things that a minister is supposed to be doing. But what we've got to realize and understand, a minister is worthy of the support from the people whom they serve. But their inward motivation has, cannot be influenced by economic considerations. What I mean by that is, and I had somebody, I've had people come to me and they'll say, because we'll have people in the altar and we'll be praying with somebody and they'll receive a healing, for example. Okay, I've told y'all several times about different ones prayed for that they were sick, they had, they had cancer, they've gone, gone back later and they come back and they say, I got a healing, God healed me from cancer. I did not do that. God did that. He used me as a conduit, but God did that. Guess what? Brother Chuck can pray for somebody and they can receive a healing. That has nothing to do with any, and what, what this is referring to is I'm not charging for somebody to get a healing from cancer. Why? Because I ain't got it to give. Does, does that make sense? When, when Peter, Peter and John goes into the temple and the, and the guy was begging for alms, he says, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I've got, I give unto you. If I am in Walmart and somebody recognizes me and comes up to me and says, Brother Andy, would you pray for me? They don't go to this church. I don't recognize them. That's happened multiple times. People watches our live stream. I don't know who they are, but they come up to me. And, he's, and I've had people come to me and they'll say, would you pray for me? I'll sure pray for you, but that'll be $25. That'd be silly, wouldn't it? And I promise you, I've never done that. That's what this is referring to. 
has nothing to do with a pastor that's in full time receiving a paycheck from that church. Pastor that's part time receiving a that is not equal. Does that make sense? Amen. And I wanted to really get that because what we've got to realize and understand when Jesus was sending his disciples out, he sent them out to do a spiritual work. They was not traveling for pleasure. They're not traveling for business. They're traveling for heavenly gain. The disciples was going out to spread the good news of Jesus. Now, when they would enter into a town or a village or a home, Jesus told them they was entitled for their food and the clothing and their drink and able to accomplish their mission, but just enough. They was not able to, they was not to take more than they needed. Verse 10 implies that the 12 were supported in their mission by those who benefited from their ministry. So when an evangelist, use that as an example. When an evangelist comes here to Coosa Valley, like if I had somebody coming to speak next Sunday and they had to travel for a long distance. Remember here, just use them as an example. Uh, Dr. Dr. Walt Malden, when I brought him and his his wife came down uh, um, several weeks ago, a couple months ago now, and they came down and they, they came from Tennessee, okay? Did anybody expect them to drive that morning all the way down? No. Why? Driving is tiring. I just want you to know. You just can't remember New York. That's a long drive. And it's tiring, is it not? And so guess what? And, and when, when you travel and you go to the campgrounds, that's tiring, isn't it? But guess what? So what we did is we put him in a hotel that night before. We paid for their hotel, got them a, and took them out to eat the next day. Took care of those things. Why? Because a minister is worthy of their hire. That's what the word of God says. And Jesus is telling them here in this. He's telling them, when you enter into a village, you enter into a city, you enter into a town, if they extend hospitality, provide them with a spiritual benefit back. Provide them with the, if the town provides you with extras, and things of the necessities, that's what they, they was entitled to. But if they block them and they say, We're not, we don't want you here, you dust, dust the dust off your feet, go to the next town. There's people that's not going to want to listen. What we've got to realize is we need to go worthy of this and not consider this as a burden. This is a privilege to carry the word of God. Verse 12 talks about, when you enter into a home, you enter into a town, you enter into the village, you greet that home, you salute it, you ask a blessing, peace to this home, this house. Those that are involved here, those that are there in that home, salute or, bring, or pray peace, pray for peace for that home or that house, that village. Christ recognized there was always the possibility of something going wrong. The, unwor- the worthiness of a house is it's left uncertain. When they were there and they was inhospitable on the part of the missionaries, the disciples, they were assured that the word of peace would not be spoken in vain. While they were to be of no gain of peace on the host, neither would there be loss of spiritual peace on the part of the guests. The disciples were simply to speak 
The simple truth. That's very important. Simple truth. I've had people that do not, they're not Christians. They don't go to church. But yet they read the Bible to find, quote, mistakes. To find, quote, things that are wrong. To find things, quote, that does not make sense. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible that don't make sense. But we have to believe it on faith. Could you ever imagine the, that it starts to rain and the whole world, the whole globe, the whole world is surrounded with a flood? Does that make, does that, can we think, fathom that? There's times that we thought that it was going to flood, didn't we? We've joked that you're going to need a boat. But it's never flooded like it did in the days of Noah. We would never fathom that happening. But we believe it did happen. Why? Because we got faith that the Bible is the truth. But there are people that's going to read the Bible and they don't, they don't have the faith that you and I have to know that what the Bible says is the truth of God's Word. And what we've got to do is we've got to realize that don't go in and try to have a theological debate or an argument because people are going to want to do that. I'll have people, they'll try their very dead level best to get me into a, I'm not going to do it. They'll get, try to get me into a theological argument over this and this of the Word of God. What we're to do is we're to spread the good news of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ is coming back for His church. He died for you and I. That's the good news of God. Everything else, the Bible actually tells us, don't try to get into all those things because they're not going to understand it. We're supposed to spread the good news of salvation, the sal of salvation into people's lives. Why? Because there's actually hazards of being sent out to those around us. There's hazards to being sent to those around us. Let's take a look at a couple of those things. Take a look at verse uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. We've already read this, but look at this again. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Look down to verse 19. When they deliver over you, do not be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say or what you are to say, for what you are, are to say will be given to you in that hour. The word behold is a detention gatherer, found back in verse 16. That's something to just grab our attention. Jesus says, I am the one that's sending you. I'm the one anointing you. I'm the one commissioning you. They're just... They, as disciples, we are sent out as defenseless sheep in the midst of wolves. This reveals there's no easy escape and there's not defense to those that we're going in contact with. The wolves are not literal, but they are a spiritual attack that we will go into. As disciples today, we must ingrain in our character the cunningness, the prudence, the practicality, wisdom associated with serpents is found in verse 16. Serpents are patient. Serpents are crafty. 
Serpents are quick and serpents are not liked by me. Serpents assess the situation. They defend their ground when necessary. They know when to slip away quietly and quickly. These are the qualities that Christians must have and integrate into our lives. But there's many times that Christians, they want to be... And as a Christian, we're not supposed to be like that. Yes, we're bold. We need to be bold. As a Christian, I'm not a doormat for somebody to come on walk all over. I'm not, I'm not that. But we also, as a Christian, when we're carrying the gospel... We need to be patient, crafty, quick. We need to be able to defend our ground when necessary, but we also need to know how to quickly and quietly slip away. We integrate these characteristics into our lives, into the harmless, innocent, childlike simplicity, unmixed characteristics of doves. Doves are perceived without guile, They represent purity and integrity. As a minister of the gospel, we do not need to have guile. People are going to do you wrong. People are going to stab you in the back. People are going to talk about you. It hurts your feelings. And and, and I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, the best thing to do is suck it up, buttercup, and get over it. Why? Because it's going to happen again and again. I have cried my eyes over getting close to people. And y'all, I'm going to tell you it's happened in this church. I've gotten close to people. And the moment they're able to, they stab me in the back. They talk bad about me. They do you wrong. And it hurts. I get told all the time, as a pastor, you're not supposed to take stuff like that personally. You know what? I don't know how to not take it personally. Why? Because I pour into people's lives all I can, and when they do me wrong like that, it hurts. Why? Because I'm a human being, just like everybody else. I love it when people, non-church folks, as usually this is the case, or they're fake Christians, they'll say, oh, bless God as a pastor, you're supposed to boom, 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 boom. You know, and they tell you all these things, and I'm like, well, why don't you live your life like that? Because they can't either. We're human beings. It's going to hurt. But the fact of it is, is what we have to do is we need to go forth without guile. We need to have purity of thought and mind. And we need to have, above all else, we need to have integrity about how we conduct ourselves. If somebody was to walk in this morning that has stabbed me in the back, that has been ugly to me, that's done me wrong in the, in, in the physical sense, in, in this emotional sense, in this humanity sense, I will go up to them, I shake their hands, I hug their neck, I greet them, I'm glad they're here. Why? Because they need to be in the house of God just like I do. Does, does that make sense? As a Christian, we have got to be as a sheep in the midst of wolves. We've got to be submitted to the shepherd. We've got to have integrity without a personal agenda. We must be smart as a sheep, or, we will, or we've got to be smart sheep, or we will be dead sheep 
and our ministries could be destroyed. If I reacted everybody, every time somebody's done me wrong, if I reacted evil every time somebody's done me wrong, then that's going to be what my character is perceived as. But I have integrity. I ha we have, as Christians, we have to do those things. Why? Because that's what's perceived by everybody else. People may not know why you are doing that person wrong. But what we've got to do is we've got to, get, we've got to be above those things. We cannot be, let's break it like this, we can't be childish. We've got to be adults about this. Does that make sense? Let's go on. The public pers persecution. During public, public persecution, we are not to be overly concerned or anxious about the situation and how or what we're supposed to speak. These things are emphasized here in verse 19 and verse 20. In the same time, the same hour, God's going to provide the message. God's going to provide what needs to be said. God's going to provide what needs to be delivered. Human intellect and ability are insufficient. The Spirit of God will proclaim in and through our lives for that situation. We just need to endure it and go forward and do what God's called us to do. But we don't need to be afraid. I've said, a lot of, I've said a lot of things this morning about how persecution comes against Christians, how people come against Christians, how people de denigrate Christians. I've talked about how I've, I briefly show, showed for a moment things that's happened because I want, in my life so I want you to realize and understand, yes, these things are going to happen. People are not going to like you because you're a Christian. I've not been invited back to some family events because I'm a Christian, and I've really lost a lot of sleep over that. Just because somebody doesn't like you because you're a Christian, because look, as a Christian, we need to stand on moral the moral values. I'm not holier than thou, but we stand on the Word of God. I'm not going to be politically correct. We need to be biblically correct. Being biblically correct does also means you do not be arrogant, that you're humble about the way you conduct your life. You're humble. You're not proud. You're humble. You're not arrogant. Does all these things make sense? But knowing this, it can cause us to be afraid. Well, my Lord, if our people are not going to like me because I'm a Christian, I'm staying in my house, I'm closing the door. We're not supposed to do that either. We've got to carry the good news of God to those around us. We cannot be afraid. Let's take a look at, in the last few moments, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 20. Uh, let's read, you can, look at, you can go back and read 26 through 39, but just for the sake of time, let's go down to verse 28. Just, let's go down just verse, verse 28 and 29 real quickly. And do not fear those who kill the body, and cannot, but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear those who can, heal, who can heal, kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. I'll get that out in just a second. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows, verse 29, are not two sparrows sowed for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. Go on down to read verse 31. Oh, I got to read verse 30. Just got to do it. The hairs of your head are all numbered. 
God didn't have to count very high on mine, did he? Verse 31. Fear not, therefore, are you not more valuable than the sparrow? After an intense selection and detailing, persecution is going to happen when we go out. As a disciple of Christ, you might as well expect it. Jesus instills and reassures those as they go out that we need to have hope in God. Verse 26 introduces the first of the three. Respect. But important thing that's commanded in this is do not be afraid. Jesus is not diminishing persecution. He's not dismissing persecution. But he's emphasizing the fact even in the midst of persecution, you can have patience, you can have his presence, you will have provision, and soon coming subordination of all things under the authority of God. The past part of verse 26 in both short and long-term meanings tells us that Jesus knew there was plots already made against him by the Jewish leaders. He knew that they would be uncovered shortly. But in the middle of all that, he knew those things was going to happen, but he went in the midst of those religious leaders anyway. Here's your, here's your question that will blow your mind as we end Sunday school. Here's a question that will blow your mind in Sunday school. When we're talking about persecution, we're talking about people are going to come against you. We talk about these things. Do we all believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit knows all things? We believe that, right? God knows what's going to happen before it happens. We believe that, right? We believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all three one. They know all things, right? So that tells me that Jesus knew Judas was going to portray him. But he chose Judas anyway. Why? thing called free will. He knew Judas was going to do that. That was part of the will of the Father. But I promise you this, if Judas didn't do it, somebody else would have. But he still chose Judas anyway. People are going to come against you. You still need to go in and spread the good news of Jesus Christ to those you come in contact with. Amen? Whoever was going to lose his life for my sake, the same shall gain it. That's what the Word of God says. Live feed, thank you so much for joining us with us over Sunday school. Remember, join us back in about 15 minutes at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. Be praying for those that are sick. We have many that uh, told the Sunday school in the beginning. We've got about four or five that's already called or texted us this morning that they or their kids have woke up with 103 and higher fevers. So we want to be, be much in prayer for these that are connected with the church that are sick. May the good Lord bless you as our prayer. Join us back at 11 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. Amen.